following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, welcome to the show. This is episode 94 of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore, and sitting across from me, lovely as ever, is my co host, Brittany Page. Hello. Yeah. Ready to roll, huh? Mm-hmm. Once again, we're coming at you. This is the second week in a row, and actually the only time we've ever done this, but the second week in a row, we're, we're recording the show on Saturday to come to you on Monday, because tomorrow will be filled with Super Bowl frivolity. Mm-hmm. Because I, I very much care about the Super Bowl, so I can't wait. Well, I don't really care about this particular Super Bowl, because... I don't have a any skin in the game. I don't have a dog in the fight. Mm-hmm. My illustrious Washington Redskins <laughs> are on a tailspin that just will not end. That mm. all kind of rhymed. Yeah. But uh, so I don't really care. I mean, I care kind of because, and I know this is going to piss off a lot of our New England listeners, but Bill Belichick. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the cheating. I'm not a fan of the the just disrespect for honest play at all. And he's kind of an arrogant douche, so. And then I tell us how you really feel. Well, I really don't care for Pete Carroll either. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to, you know, we should talk about this. Today, Brittany and I went to breakfast in Huntington Beach. Mm -hmm. We won't name the place, but we went to a nice place and had breakfast. And during the meal, there was a guy sitting at the bar, and he, we very quickly figured out he was the owner. And he turned to us and he, hey, how you guys doing? And you know, great, yeah, thanks. He goes, oh, you gonna watch the big game tomorrow? Which seems to be the question everywhere. Everyone's asking. You mm-hmm. can't have normal. Rather than talk about the weather a few days before the Super Bowl, it's are you gonna watch the game? Which is also dumb because there's many people like me who do not care at all. I mean, I know you're saying that you don't care because you don't you don't have a team. I don't care because it's sports. So right. I, I don't care at all. Well, your life in football season is very miserable, though, because I watch an insurmountable amount of, amount of college football. The first time that the Super Bowl was on in my home, my childhood home, was when No Doubt played halftime. Uh, so go figure out whatever year that was. And that was the first time a Super Bowl had ever been on in my house. All right. So And it was only on for <laughs> halftime. Okay. And then the last like two years, I think we've been watching it or maybe three. I don't know. I'm blocking it out. I, I watch the Super Bowl every year. No. That so happen. anyway, we're getting to the point The the owner of the restaurant turns to me and he asked me if we're watching the game. And I tell him, yeah, and I don't really care who wins. You know, I, I don't really care about the game and I don't have a same thing I just said. And I explained why I don't like Belichick. And then I explained why I don't like Pete Carroll. And a lot of it stems from his time. And this is going to be completely boring as shit for all of our international listeners. But the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks is a guy named Pete Carroll. And he used to be the head coach of the uh, the USC, the University of Southern California uh, Trojans, the college football team. 
And college football is a big thing in America. Well, high school football in some states is a big thing. But college football especially, it's big. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And he, they had, there was a bunch of cheating and bullshit that went on. And right when the sanctions came down, right when the punishments were levied, that's when Pete Carroll hit the streets and went and took a job with the Seattle Seahawks. That doesn't bother me as much as the fact that he is an outspoken 9-11 truther. He is a denier of facts and science where it relates to 9-11. And I find that kooky. So I told this to the owner of the restaurant... And you could see his friendly demeanor go from... It just washed over to a different dude that was sitting there talking to us. Yeah, he said... Well, I think you said that the Pete Carroll being a 9-11 truther thing is weird. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't make me hate him because I know a lot of people who are truthers. It just it strikes me as weird. And it's it, that coupled with the fact that I don't really like him anyway. It just lends a little fuel to the fire to make fun of him. So once you said it was weird, there wasn't really a reaction, right. which which kind of gave you a hint. But then he started talking about things that indicated immediately to me that we had a 9-11 truther on our hands. Well, he, he, he went into the, well, there's many professors, there's many scientists who, you know, there's a chemical. That, oh, I go, you're talking about thermite, right? Oh, yeah, thermite, right. Well, there's all these these people who don't. And I said, no, 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 no. There's one. There's one professor from BYU. And then I, I st- kind of talked about that. The Popular Mechanics put out an entire issue debunking all of the claims made by these conspiracy theorists. And as soon as I said that and kind of shut down his argument, because he also didn't, he didn't really know much about what was going on. I think he just believes it because he's a conspiracy nut. But as soon as I shut that down, he moved on immediately to, well, there's a lot of other scientists who agree and they're, they're starting to die off and the, the people are they're getting killed and they want no one wants the truth to be known. And, mm-hmm. Which, come on, guy. Right. Well, that was starting to make me a little nervous for him. <laughs> like we needed to have an intervention. There's several things that are that are wrong with that argument that we're not going to completely deconstruct here because that's <laughs> I don't know how we got on this, but. What what strikes me is for these people who do believe that 9-11 was an inside job and there are scientists being murdered in counts that, that that's an alarming thing, then why are you so brave, Mr. Restaurant Owner, to be talking about this as though it really happened and it's the way it is? Why do you not fear for your life? Well, that's kind of what my main question is every time I see this kind of thing out in the world, which is if you believe that the government killed that many of its own citizens that day, why are you here? I would be terrified. Well, we live in France. I would be terrified to be here. I mean, this is like Saudi Arabia then. Are they going to start chopping our heads off? I mean, what's right. going to start happening? What's next if that's what they did? Right. So that's kind of why are you here if you believe that about the government? Yeah. That's terrifying. So it kind of makes me think they don't really believe it because why would they be here? Well, I, I don't think they give it really that much thought. I mean, that loose change video, the video that really kind of sparked the the cohesive 9-11 conspiracy theory um, has been redone several times because every time something gets definitively debunked, that there's no way to conspiracy theory around it, they remove it from the video and there's a new updated version. It's, yeah. it's the same thing with uh, Nostradamus books 
they they talk about something and then as soon as something doesn't come true well then they revise the book and that part just gets left out right well that's the interesting thing about conspiracy theorists that they have found is that they don't just believe one they believe many right because it's a type of personality that someone has it's not just that you believe this evidence or you think this is good evidence it's that you have a certain kind of personality where you're a little maybe paranoid or you're a little well, just distrusting of the system in general maybe right yeah and and so it it goes through different currents into different things well it's the same thing with i find that religious people i know i have several friends who who are deeply deeply religious and i've watched a transition over the last eight to you know five to eight years of just a regular religious person who's into their their church i mean they're very religious but shifting from that to alex jones followers and anti-vaccination people so right and you know this is a little tongue-in-cheek but if you can believe the biggest conspiracy of all time religion uh then i think it's easy to believe smaller conspiracies you know relative to size like 9-11 or vaccination or you know chemtrails and all this other nuttery yeah so needless to say, it was kind of a, a t- awkward and awkward <laughs> from the time we talked about it. And I as soon as I realized that he we didn't see eye to eye, uh, I shifted to Bill Belichick right away. And right. Just, you know, oh, oh, talking about whatever. Went back to something innocuous. Right. And then no more eye contact. The rest of the time he uh, he passed us several times and didn't look at us. So. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I mean, at least you were forward thinking enough to say it was just weird. I mean, you didn't launch into this diatribe about him being a 9-11 truther. You just said it's kind of weird. I didn't call him an idiot. I didn't. No. Yeah, I was I was careful enough. Right. And I maybe you've learned your lesson. I know I've done that plenty of times in my life where I just launch into crapping on a certain segment of yeah. the population. Yeah. And then I, the person I'm talking to is like, yeah, uh, I'm a part of that group. And then I have to kind of backtrack <laughs> on what I was saying. Like. Why aren't, am I not a smart person that thought maybe you were a part of that group I'm talking about? Well, while I am still um, a very ineffective in many ways communicator and imperfect communicator, um, I've gotten a lot better than I used to be over the years. Because I used to be a guy who would do that. Just completely shit on, let's say, Mormons. And I'm just railing up and down about religion, their particular flavor of Christianity. And then the person I'm talking to goes, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a Mormon or I'm whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, oh, uh, you know, you can't back down and like, oh, well, uh, not, not all of you are bad. Uh, then you're, you're trapped. So I think just in, uh, there's a maturation process that has taken place with me that hopefully will continue. Yes. Because that's an awkward, terrible place to be. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, we got a little bit of a follow-up to start the show. We've been talking about American Sniper a little bit on the show. And um, there was an article that was written, uh, and the reporter was in Baghdad for the premiere of American Sniper showing in Baghdad. There were some interesting responses from some of the people that she interviewed who were in Baghdad, who were Iraqi, and watched the movie there. Right, and this article was posted in the globalpost.com, and it's by Susanna George. 
When Gaith Muhammad, a young man in his 20s with a degree in accounting, went to see American Sniper during its opening week at Baghdad's Mansour Mall, he says the theater was full and rowdy. Quote, some people watching were just concentrating, but others were screaming, F, shoot him. He has an IED. Don't wait for permission, Muhammad laughed, right. recounting the film's many tent scenes when Chris Kyle, played by Bradley Cooper, radios in for authorization to take out a potential threat in his crosshairs. Muhammad says one of the film's opening scenes when Kyle spots a woman and child who appear to be preparing to attack U.S. troops during the initial invasion of Iraq had the entire audience on the edge of their seats. Quote, when the sniper was hesitating to shoot the child holding the RPG, everyone was yelling, just shoot him, he said. Which I find interesting, and it really goes to show where the the radical left and liberal type of thought process in america of americans it breaks down it's the same thing when like bill maher said that chris kyle called all iraqis savages when clearly or in my mind clearly he was talking about al-qaeda he was talking about uh the syrian resistance that flooded in to iraq uh in the in the first few days of the invasion so he wasn't talking about the, the general citizenry Right. And Gaith Muhammad, the man who was interviewed in this article, kind of spoke to that as well. He said, I love watching war movies because especially now they give me the strength to face ISIS. And then they asked him if he thought the movie was racist or anti-Arab. And he said, no, why? The sniper was killing terrorists. The only thing that bothered me was when he said he didn't know anything about the Koran. <laughs> well... I mean, I think that's a that's a pretty high bar to set. So anyway, that I think that was a very fascinating um, interview and article that we'll put that on the Facebook page for you. Also, if you have anything to say about anything we say, 657-464-7609. That is the number to call to leave a brief, less than three-minute voicemail. You can also text that number. If you are voicemail averse, you can record yourself on your smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So, the First Lady was given a speech to her organization this week, and she had this to say specifically about American Sniper. Just look at the latest box office numbers. The number one movie in America right now is a complex emotional depiction of a veteran and his family. And I had a chance to see American Sniper this week on that long flight we took. <laughs> and while I know there have been critics, I felt that more often than not, this film touches on many of the emotions and experiences that I've heard firsthand from military families over these past few years. Now, I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but this movie reflects those wrenching stories that I've heard. The complex journeys that our men and women in uniform endure. The, the complicated moral decisions they are tasked with every day. The stresses of balancing love of family with a love of country. And the challenges of transitioning back home to their next mission in life. And here's why a movie like this is important. 
See, the vast majority of Americans will never see these stories. They will never grasp these issues on an emotional level without portrayals like this. Awesome. Well, first of all, let me say, I, I love Michelle Obama. I think she is super, super likable. Yeah, well, what what could anyone dislike about her? I don't know what anyone, what kind of gripe could they have? Well, there's a lot of idiotic idiots. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I didn't want to say what I wanted to say, mm. or I didn't say what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a lot of people that, that can manufacture reasons to not like someone. It's the same thing with people who don't like Obama, who think he's trying to destroy our civilization single-handedly. Right. Well, when that's ridiculous, he's just a bad president. He just has <laughs> bad ideas mm. about running our country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So anyway, I think she's great. But this really goes to show, one, I'm a little bit, I'm kind of tooting my own horn here, um, that she really agrees with, with what I've been saying on the show. That, <laughs> that it's, well, you know, it's, the movie does talk about the complexities. Right. The nuanced argument about war, the effects of the, and the ravages of war on not just the individual military member, but on the family unit. Right. And that your transition back from military life is a dramatic, sometimes perilous situation right and i think she well she said it better than i ever could and i'm thankful that you know she is using her her megaphone to to champion this opinion right i think it was good too it also shows that you know a democrat a liberal can express support for this film and the military and just because she is of a certain political persuasion doesn't mean that she needs to be against it and you know call chris kyle a murderer and a psychopathic whatever yeah whatever bill maher called him a psychopathic patriot right i don't know why i don't have a a drop of him saying that that would be perfect and we forgot (laughs) to address this point so let's do this right now why are people colloquially using the word sociopath or psychopath when those are you know not necessarily clinical terms i guess because it's not in the dsm but they're kind of clinical terms to describe a person that has a certain disorder so maybe don't use it like it's a funny joke or here's i think you have a a a very detailed and expert understanding of the psychology behind sociopathy or psychopathy and it is colloquial use. It's just, you know, the guy's a psycho. He's he's a crazy guy. It's, uh, you know, we, we are in our infancy as a people understanding the, the science and the condition of the brain. And it'll happen. But I think to call for it now is <laughs> pretty early. Okay. Well, the, the most marked characteristic of someone who is a psychopath or sociopath is a, a lack of empathy. Right. And Chris Kyle very apparently was able to experience empathy and had empathy for his fellow soldiers and his his need to protect them. And, I mean, that shows empathy right there. So you're using the word wrong. That's all I'm saying. Uh, okay, I understand that. But let's say someone's talking about cancer. Oh, that guy's a cancer. Well, I'm an oncologist, and you shouldn't use the word cancer because he's not really a cancer. A cancer is, a, I mean, you're talking about the difference between a medicine and a medical description, and... 
just some jackass on the street or some idiot with an HBO show. You know what I mean? Okay, well, I don't I don't know, I guess. I mean, I get what you're saying, but it, it's still an issue for me, especially when you have mass shootings occur. This is another instance where people call people psychopaths or sociopaths and right. just because they do a mass shooting, I just don't... I don't I see that I don't like using the word wrong. I don't yeah, think yeah. it's appropriate to call people these things when they're not because then people are just continuing being uneducated on the matter, I guess, and not understanding what words they're using. I for sure see that point. I the, think the, that with this with the shooting thing like the the Elliot Roger or the or Adam Lanza. Yeah, I see. I see that. I do. I, I kind of see what you're saying. You've backed me off. <laughs> I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. People can use words in different ways, but there there is, you know, a sociopath is an actual thing that has a meaning yeah. and a psychopath is an actual thing that has a meaning. And so to call someone who is being paid by the government to do a job and they're doing that job right. to kill people in war, a psychopath that, well, it's not fitting well, with I, what the job is. I would say this, that if it weren't for my relationship with you. I would not know that there that being a psychopath doesn't necessarily mean that you were a bloodthirsty killer. That there are psychopaths who lead functional, productive, beneficial lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are who's the psychologist? Who's the psychiatrist or psychologist at the University of California, Irvine? Fallon is it? J- James Fallon. Mm-hmm. Um, he. He exhibits a lot of um, sociopathic traits when they did the brain scan or whatever, which is something we should probably talk about, but or on another show, I mean. <laughs> um, but the guy is, he's contributing to our society and, and the, the greater knowledge of, of, the, of, the, of your, your field because of his, 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 his uh, drive and his study of it. There's plenty of people that have um, psychopathic traits that don't kill people. It, it can actually be very well, positive, right? So what I'm saying and make is, you very successful. What I'm saying is, if it weren't for my relationship with you, I would not know that. I would think psychopath means John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. So it's that is, I think very few people really have an understanding of psychopathy or sociopathy. So, but. Maybe because of this show, we'll move the conversation a little bit forward and people will be interested enough to look it up and and get into it. So, and maybe jackasses like Bill Maher, who should know, will stop using the word. And if you are interested in reading about this, there's a book called The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success by Kevin Dutton. And it's a really good book that illustrates kind of how those traits can work to make people that like run corporations successful and, and things like isn't that. Isn't there another book, uh, Snakes and Suits, that's kind of the same thing or or it deals with... Yeah, and that's by Bob Hare, who yeah. is the world-renowned researcher on psychopathy. Yeah, awesome. So if you're interested, you should check those out. Where you should go is to dollamore.com, and up in the top right-hand corner, there's a link that says support the show. There you will find a search bar for amazon.com, and you could buy either one of those books, Snakes and Suits, or what was the other one? The Wisdom of Psychopaths by Kevin Dutton. Yeah. So there you go. Perfect. 
Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the other day, Mike Huckabee, <laughs> Mike Huckabee was on a radio show doing an interview, and he had some very choice things to say about, I guess, the coarseness of our culture, but also specifically about women. Um, it, it, just and you went from uh, small town America, Midwest. Uh, you went to the, uh, the 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 center, the pulse of uh, the, the political class. Did you go through any culture shock, or did you know what you were in for? Absolutely a cultural shock, Chan, and that's part of what I, I really get into at the very beginning of the book, and I explained how this book came about. Six and a half years of traveling to New York every week to work. I mean, it's one thing to go as a guest, a visitor, a tourist. If you go to work and you're in that sort of, uh, I guess, hotbed of, of the New York culture for a while, for someone like me, I, I thought, man, this is a different planet. And I came more and more to realize that the cultural divide is significant. And I, I, just a, a small example. One of the chapters is the culture of crude. I was shocked that you go into New York. It's ethanol here, meeting. by the way, by the way. It's yeah. not the... <laughs> but <laughs> yes. it, it's, it's one of those things where in a business meeting that you might have in, um, in the South or in the Midwest there in Iowa, uh, you would not have people who would just throw the F-bomb and, and use gratuitous profanity in a professional setting right in new york not only do the men do it but the women do it and it, it, you know you just are looking around and saying my gosh this is worse than locker room talk this would be considered uh totally inappropriate to say these things in front of a woman and for a woman to say them in a professional setting we would only assume that this is a, a very as we would say in the south that's just trashy uh what year is it i know i just wrote down i said he talks about mm, it's a whole different planet when you work in New York City or these, you know, where it's so coarse. Different planet. This guy's in a different decade. He's in a different century. What does he act like? Well, the other thing, <laughs> I don't know where to start. It's are women so delicate and dainty that they can't handle a cur curse word? Yeah. You know what? Trust me. You can say whatever you want in front of me. <laughs> And I, what is he worried about? Like, I'm going to explode or something? Like, what what's going to happen when you say the F word in front of me? Also, what professional environment is he talking about where people don't use adult language? And I'm not talking about crazy stuff, but every professional environment I've ever been in, you know, the F word is dropped. Not crazy, but it's used. Well, that's how, I mean, I don't want to say... <laughs> This might sound dumb, but that's how adults talk. I mean, not all the time. Right. You know, but sometimes adults use foul language. Right. And even people who don't cuss sometimes say naughty words. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's not like he, you know, what if he stubs his toe at home? Is he really going to say, oh, darn. Fiddlesticks. Yeah, please. You're not. Well, that's. That's the that's one of the benefits and the beauties of being an adult. You have the full range of language at your disposal to use. We're not children. We're adults. Well, kind of. Some of us. <laughs> Are you talking about me or No, I'm talking about Mike Huckabee. Right. Who is running or wants to run for president of the United States of America? 
And doesn't want women to cuss. And, yeah. And in the year 2016, he's running, not the year 1952. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So he ended up going on Megyn Kelly's show on Fox News, and they talked about this entire thing. And at the end of the interview, she, well, she somewhat jokingly, but many a, many a uh, truth has been t- told in jest, she sem- semi-jokingly took him to task and had this to say. Well, I do have news for you before I let you go. We yes. are not only swearing. We're drinking, we're smoking, we're having premarital sex with birth control before we go to work, and sometimes boss oh. around a bunch of men. <laughs> I gotta See, leave it at that. I, oh, I just don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. That's just the reality, Gov. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for being here. Thanks. We'll be Great. right back. She may have been joking a little bit, but I think what she said resonates because she's talking about having sex with birth control, so she has power over her reproductive system. She's not being controlled by a man. It's it's very telling. And I, as joking and, and laughy as he was about it, I don't want to hear that. He's being serious. He doesn't want to hear that. He would rather stick his head in the sand and live as though it is 1950 in America where blacks are segregated. And I'm not saying he's a racist or really holds that opinion. But he hearkens back to a time when that terrible shit was going on. He thinks America was a better place in 1950 than it is today. Well, and it's it's weird that he is, you know, sitting across from Megyn Kelly and he, he holds these views that women are these delicate little flowers and they shouldn't be using the F word. And Megyn Kelly is, I mean, an argument could be made that she's more intelligent than Mike Huckabee. I, I think she probably and is. she's a female. Uh-oh. Right. And, you know, sitting across from him, I'm sure she was frustrated by his opinions because they I don't want to say offensive because you know that word is overused but they're lame they're certainly lame what he said they're 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 unintelligent they're not thought out they are archaic like I said he's hearkening back to a time when whites and blacks had to use different drinking fountains where Fire hoses were used when blacks would try to protest for rights in this country, where a white man couldn't marry a black woman and vice versa. It was a terrible time in America in a lot of ways. Well, I would have liked for him to, you know, when he gave that first interview and made the first statement, he was speaking to another man. I wonder... If, you know, let's say he had been being interviewed by Megyn Kelly, if he would have said the same exact thing to her, right. knowing he was speaking to a woman who is strong, who is educated, who is intelligent, and it just wouldn't have gone the same way, I don't think, for him. He strikes me as a guy who is, oh, little lady, no matter where, what you are, you know, he's going to talk down and be this this more dominant type of figure. And I think he's an easygoing guy. He's not a this this radical Donald Trump type. But still, he does have this backwards idea about the relationship between men and women and the role that women serve in our society. And by the way, Republicans, um, this isn't good. No. This is very, very bad. This guy, I really hope he doesn't get any traction because, well, one, I I think he's coarsened, his politics have coarsened and gotten more conservative and he's trying really to align himself more with the religious right than he ever has, even though he's a Baptist minister. I mean, that's that's what he is. He was governor of Arkansas, but he's a nutter 
Christian pastor. I mean, that's what he is. So next, we've been talking about Mitt Romney and his bizarre entrance into the race and what's going on. But it appears he has decided he is not going to run. Official Mitt Romney is out of the race for the White House. The former Massachusetts governor and last Republican presidential nominee says he's decided against running in 2016. On a conference call with supporters, Governor Romney said he is convinced that he could win the nomination again. But listen to what he said about who the GOP should nominate. I believe that one of our next generation of Republican leaders, one who may not be as well known as I am today, one who has not yet taken their message across the country, one who's just getting started, may well emerge as being better able to defeat the Democrat nominee. In fact, I expect and hope that to be the case. Next generation, not well known, a newcomer. A swipe at the former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, according to the analysts. Last month, Governor Bush announced he's thinking about running, and a few weeks ago, he set up a political action committee. Since then, some of Governor Romney's former fundraisers have decided to support Governor Bush. Also switching sides, the man who led Governor Romney's campaign in Iowa in the past two presidential races. Well, after Governor Romney's announcement, Governor Bush responded, and I quote, Mitt is a patriot, and I join many in hoping his days of serving our nation and our party are not over. You know, it really goes to show that he's not getting any traction. He's not able to raise money, and it, that's, that's really the element here, is if you can't raise the money and you can't get the public support, you don't stand a chance. And, you know, Mitt Romney is really resoundingly unliked. I don't know why he got the name nomination last time, because I did think he was a terrible candidate. It was obvious to me he was going to lose early on. Um, but he's resoundingly unliked by both the middle and the the more hard-lined, uh, nutty right in the Republican Party. So he needs to t- step aside. I mean, listen, to to illustrate my point, here, here are Glenn Beck's the the wildly weird Glenn Beck's uh, thoughts about Romney. The question the former Massachusetts governor will have to answer is why he would be a better candidate than he was in 2012. The answer is not obvious. Uh, Rupert Murdoch from News Corp, of course, yeah. he had his chance. He mishandled it. You know, I thought Romney was a terrible candidate. I thought he was awful. Uh, I thought he was a really... Let me say this again. I thought he was mixed. He was mixed. I thought he was... He went from really good and honorable mm-hmm. to... What the hell are you even thinking? Yeah. Just awful. Yeah. Well, Just he, awful. It was like he didn't want to win. So in the end, it was like he didn't want to win. He didn't want to win. To win, Brittany. To win. Mm-hmm. So even Glenn Beck thinks that Mitt Romney is a little shitty shit stain in a piece of underwear, in a pair of underwear. Wow. He doesn't like him, I guess is what I'm saying. Wow. He thinks that he is a stinky turd Mm. or the remnants of the aforementioned stinky turd. Mm. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this. I'm going to miss him because I enjoy talking about him, but I guess it's done. It really makes me wonder what in the hell he was thinking because they went out he and, and and Ann Romney both. I mean, they had that documentary, which I would I would recommend someone watch. It is it was really good, um, a propaganda piece, but it was very good. It really did let <laughs> you inside to see kind of this dude who, 
you know, it's kind of the same thing. For those of you who remember when Bob Dole ran, um, you know, they tried to make him somebody he's not. And this documentary that's on Netflix called Mitt, um, they really try to make it sound like, oh, he just got pressured into acting like he doesn't want to act because he's just kind of a regular dude and blah, blah. I don't buy all that. I think he is an elitist of, of, of all the elitists we've had run for president. He's one of the greats. I mean, he, he's up there with like John Kerry. Hmm. He just, he may come across as a little bit more, um, slight <laughs> but he's not he's a nutter well i i've always thought that mitt romney is kind of arrogant and yeah yeah i don't like the way he talks when he was doing the debates and stuff he he just seemed i mean really arrogant is the best word for it i even in my time hop app you know the, yeah, the yeah. app that shows you the things that you posted a year ago every day Mine have been coming up lately, um, showing like presidential debate stuff. And every time three years ago. Yeah. And every time there's something about Mitt Romney, it um, talks about how arrogant he's talking or how rude he's being. So moving right along before we go crazy on the Dollamocracy segment, um, this measles outbreak that has originated in, in California, right here in Ground Zero in Orange County, where we live in Disneyland is really going crazy and i think the number is approaching almost 100 people and it has spread to many many states so i pulled a little bit we have a few clips coming up here and the the first one is um a little bit of a it's a it's a package put together by cnn that kind of goes very briefly over kind of the hysteria and how it got started and what's going on right now um I'll let you listen. Parents need to know what is being injected into their child. Call it the Jenny effect. Without a doubt in my mind, I believe vaccinations triggered Evan's autism. Almost a decade ago, actress Jenny McCarthy became the spokeswoman for the anti-vaccination movement, a movement that's only grown stronger finding support among liberal, well-educated communities, despite science showing over and over there's no link between autism and vaccines. In California, for example, a study out this week shows low rates of vaccination in San Francisco and Marin County, both wealthy areas. In Southern California, affluent areas in Los Angeles have had immunization rates that rival South Sudan's. When parents choose not to vaccinate, Other parents around them may have similar ideas, and so what you get are pockets, groups of people who think the same, and so you now have a cluster of children who are susceptible, all kind of living and playing together, going to similar schools, houses of worship, and the like. So if that bad germ gets into that group, all of a sudden, you'll have an epidemic. So why don't parents believe the scientists? Some of them are convinced the government is working with the pharmaceutical industry and just want to sell vaccines. I am more willing to take the chance of her getting one of these, you know, rare viruses or diseases than give her these side effects of these vaccines, which a lot of the times is autism. I do not see that there is ever an acceptable time to inject a known toxin, a known poison, a heavy metal into the body of a six pound and up child in order to help save their life through a vaccine. No poison is safe. 
No poison can be given to a child, and it's okay. The supposed link between autism and vaccines was championed by British scientist Andrew Wakefield. But his paper was discredited and redacted from the British Medical Journal in 2011. The study is not a lie. The findings that we made have been replicated in five countries around the world. Sir, that's Moreover, not true. You've, you've been offered the chance to replicate your study, and you've never taken, taken anybody up on that. You've had plenty of opportunity to replicate you just your study. Excuse me of giving you a falsehood. I am telling you that this work has been replicated in five countries around the world. That was not true, but even so, many parents still believe Wakefield was right, still believe the government is lying to Americans, and still refuse to vaccinate their children no matter what. Elizabeth Cohen, CNN reporting. So, my favorite thing about that video i have a lot of favorites yeah was <laughs> the woman who was talking about um a lot of times it ends up being autism right okay what is she basing that on well what are you talking about she's basing it on all of the research the voluminous research that she's done Brittany. also what does a lot of times mean again research and I also like how she said, I'll risk my child getting one of these rare diseases. It, it, that's exactly what you just did. Brittany used the uh, the air quotes when she said it. In the video that I extracted this from, she uses the air quotes, these rare right. diseases, when measles is only rare because people get vaccinated for it. Right. That's what I was going to say. So Polio is only rare because we've eradicated it through the use of... And the functionality of vaccines. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. And the thing about the a lot of times it results in autism. Yeah. These people are talking about things and they just they just don't understand, you know, and I feel kind of bad because I know it is easy for someone who doesn't understand research or data or statistics to read these papers and not really understand how the peer review process works or what it means to have your article retracted. Yeah. You know, they may not understand these things. And so I, I feel kind of bad for them. But at the same time, if you don't understand it, if you don't understand how all this works and you, you, you just don't get it, then Rely on someone who does. Right. If you're an uneducated housewife, and this isn't to malign housewives, but if, if you're an uneducated factory worker, or if you're an, a non-science educated individual, I don't care if you're a, a, a finance titan, or if you're a janitor, if you don't have a science background, then leave it to the scientists to tell you what's good and bad. Right. And, and that's where scientific consensus comes in. And on vaccines, it's overwhelming. Overwhelming. The consensus that they are safe. 98%, and, I believe, in that in that uh, that infographic we were looking at today. And so it just, you know, come on. I mean, be smarter than that, please. Well, the other part of this is the fact that they, they addressed Marin County, which is a like a San Francisco suburb. Very liberal, very educated, very wealthy. And they're having a massive problem right now. And there's an individual, a young kid, by the name of Rhett Crowett. And this next clip deals with him, his plight, and his father's issue with this entire, this entire deal. Six-year-old Rhett Crowett is not vaccinated for measles or anything else. But it has nothing to do with religion or his parents' philosophy towards vaccines. Rhett has been battling leukemia. 
He's in remission now and healthy, but a thousand doses of chemo weakened his immune system. The vaccinations that he had when he was a baby are basically wiped out by the, all the antibodies are wiped out by the chemotherapy. And then they have to wait until his immune system is strong enough to revaccinate him. Until then, his parents have an idea and a controversial one. They want Rett School in Marin County, California, to bar any children who haven't been vaccinated. Such a move, they argue, would decrease Rett's chances of getting the measles, which in his case could lead to death, according to his doctor. And this is not just about Rett. This is about all kids that have uh, immune dysfunction, whether it's from chemotherapy or an underlying immunodeficiency syndrome. Instead of waiting for an outbreak and reacting to what is uh, a disease, let's get ahead of it and avoid having that outbreak in the first place. Here in California and other states, there are exemptions that allow parents to opt out of vaccines and still send their children to school. Are your children vaccinated? For the most part. Tracy Skitt has children at Red School. She did get them vaccinated for measles, but not everything else the school requires. So she got an exemption, which in California requires the form to also be signed by a health care professional. She doesn't believe in forced immunizations. And we live here in Marin County, which is a liberal place. Um, it's a well-educated group of people. It's a thoughtful group of people. And I think if parents are choosing not to vaccinate, it's probably for a reason. The numbers are not trivial. More than 6% of kindergartners here have personal belief exemptions. That's nearly three times the state average of 2.5%. Nationally, it's 1.8%. In a statement provided to CNN, the school district tells us California law protects the rights of parents to refuse to vaccinate their children and in doing so prohibits schools from excluding these children from school unless there is an active outbreak. Rhett's parents concede they're on the losing side of the battle but still hope some good will come of it. What we're trying to achieve is herd immunity. What we're trying to achieve is to raise the immunization rates so we don't have to worry about measles. So before I get further into this story um, with some quotes from Carl, Rhett's dad, I just want to say that woman that was interviewed and said that if parents aren't vaccinating their kids, it's for a reason. Right. Yeah, people also rob banks for a reason. People yeah. murder people for a reason. Right. People rape people for a reason. It, just because there's a reason doesn't mean it's a good reason. Exactly. So that statement is meaningless. Maybe she's not one of, she doesn't count herself among the educated, well-educated in Marin County. So in Rhett School, 6.45% of children have a personal belief exemption. Which is higher than the Marin County average. And the Marin County average, like they said, is three times higher than the state average. The statewide average is 2.5%. So this is another quote from Rhett's dad, Carl. He says, if you choose not to immunize your child and your child dies because they get measles, okay, that's your responsibility. That's your choice. But if your child gets sick and gets my child sick and my child dies, then your action has harmed my child. Exactly. Well, listen, in the Constitution, in the United States Constitution, there is an amendment in within the first 10 that it talks about you do not have the right to exercise a constitutional right if it takes away someone else's right. So you're infringing on someone else's health. This isn't something that you can... It's not like smoking a cigarette, and if the smoke happens to go into your neighbor's yard, you don't get to smoke. This is disease. This is death. 
This is pestilence. People die from the measles. Right. And Rhett's dad was talking about attending a parent meeting before the start of school. Mm -hmm. And they asked parents not to send peanut products to school since a child or children have a peanut allergy. And he remembers that at this meeting, they said, quote, it's really important your kids don't bring peanuts because kids can die. He says the irony was not lost on him and that he immediately responded in the interest of the health and safety of our children. Can we have the assurance that all the kids at our school are immunized, which I'm sure didn't enjoy the same support that the peanut ban did. No, apparently the parents that were present were, quote, mad that you asked the question because they don't immunize their kids. Just it's. It's bizarre. It would be maddening to me. I would yank my kid out of that school. There's no way I would have my kid in that school, especially right now. You know, they say the statistic is if you come into contact with someone who has the measles, you have a 90 or 91 percent chance of getting it. If you're not vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated. Right. Um, CNN did this thing where it's the guy who does all the hologram things on this on the set. Right. And they did this thing where he's sitting at the front of the plane. And at the back of the plane, they have a like a little hologram, like he does, that someone coughs, and they show the spread of the of the the measles particles, and it just you watched it, did you not? And didn't it kind of freak you out? I couldn't watch it. I turned it off about <laughs> a couple of seconds in because I can't. So they cough in the back of the plane, and because it is microscopic particles, fine fine particles that they're they're not they the, the filtering system of the plane that doesn't do anything. They just make their way all the way to the front, and they land on everything. You breathe them in, even if they are many, many, many rows back. If you're in the front seat of the plane and they're in the back seat of the plane, you have a 90% chance of contracting the disease if you haven't been vaccinated. It's a very serious thing, especially for a child like this who already has a weakened immune system. Well, we're going to post this article up on the Facebook page and the Twitter page because this... This sweet little rat. I mean, you just look at his picture and he's six years old and and he's been fighting leukemia for four and a half years. And, you know, I mean, he he needs to be protected. And it just it breaks my heart that that people are not, you know, caring about other kids and the damage that this could do to someone as sweet as this little rat. If your child, if you choose to not vaccinate your child, then you don't get to send your child to public school. You, you, you homeschool them. That's what should happen. And th- there's a, such a disconnect with these rich white people who I don't want to, I have a personal exemption. I'm not going to vaccinate my child because of heavy metals and the poisons, never the answer and blah, blah, blah. Well, Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, she is the, the co-chair of the, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they're doing yeoman's work right now. They are doing awesome work, and they have very, very aggressive goals relative to vaccinating and increasing or decreasing, I'm sorry, decreasing the child mortality rates around the world. So, for instance, vaccines. When we came into this work 15 years ago, there were no vaccines against the two biggest childhood killers, pneumonia and diarrhea. It took quite a bit of time to get those vaccines developed. 
But now that we're there, there we're bringing the prices down, and they're being delivered. So it used to frustrate me that there was a 25-year lag, a 25-year lag from when a vaccine would come out in the United States and make it to Africa. Now that lag is down to less than a year sometimes, and we're getting the strains out for Africa. So that's the other piece that makes me optimistic, and why Bill and I talk about it in the letter childhood deaths under five are down cut in half in 25 years, and we know they can be cut in half yet again in the next 15 years because of things like vaccines. I mean, you must be so frustrated when you see these sort of anti-vaccine brigade then. I mean, we, you know, that we see them in the news. How do you respond to that? People that are sort of saying, oh, vaccines are just not the way to go. They actually hurt more than they help. I want to say, are you kidding? We take vaccines so for granted in the United States. We're so used to taking our kids in. Women in the developing world know the power of these. They will walk 10 kilometers in the heat with their child and line up to get a vaccine because they have seen death. We've forgotten what measles deaths look like. We've forgotten what these things, the scourges they used to be. But in Africa, the women know death in their children and they want their children to survive. So I say to people in the United States, we're incredibly lucky to have that technology and we ought to take full advantage of it. And that's the disconnect is that we have become so accustomed, so spoiled by medical advancement, so spoiled by vaccinations and the, the eradication of these terrible diseases like the measles, mumps, rubella, polio, whooping cough, that we forget that it's because of the vaccines that we don't see it. So there's this false sense of security. There's this false safety, this blanket that, oh, we're, everything's fine, everything's fine. I don't have to vaccinate my kid because there is no measles anymore. It's not a problem. Well, it's not a problem because we're all vaccinated. So these rich, educated, thoughtful, as she said, people in Marin County and elsewhere, we have the same problem here in the Los Angeles area. They need to be a little bit more thoughtful and put those educations to you to work to to come around on this because they are endangering many, many people. The, the, this measles thing has spread to Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, where the where the Super Bowl is getting ready to take place. Mexico as well. It's, Mexico it started in California, Utah. It, it's it's problematic. Right. And. Bill and Melinda Gates are just freaking rock stars. Awesome. And I don't know where the world would be without them. So I'm just so happy that they exist. It wouldn't be as good a place. They are they're definitely um, wonderful, wonderful people. Giving of their treasure. Massive, massive piles of money. But not just throwing money at problems. Mm -hmm. They're wisely using the money to tackle major societal issues it's it's a beautiful thing i'm uh, we're all lucky we're lucky to have them so up next we have another story this was local because orange county is ground zero for all that crap well where Brittany and i are from idaho boise idaho they right now in the state of idaho are are trying to or they just tried to when it was uh, rejected but there there's an organization called add the words and Add the Words works to amend the existing Idaho Human Rights Act to simply add the words sexual orientation and gender identity. The Idaho Human Rights Act provides reporting and mediation services for workplace, housing, public accommodation, transportation, and education disputes. 
So it's kind of like the federally protected class. If you're if you're handicapped, I don't know what the proper word for it is now, but if you're disabled, physically disabled, if you're a woman, you, you can't discriminate against someone for like you can't be fired for your race, creed, color, religion, these other things. And soon, very soon, I believe that the being transgendered or gay, your your sexual orientation or your gender identity will be added to that list federally. But right now it's not. Mm-hmm. So certain states are taking it upon themselves to add it. California is one that has added it. You cannot uh, not rent to someone. You cannot choose to not rent to someone because they're gay. Right. So that's all that they were trying to do with that's this law. It. Is it, it was a bill that would extend protections from discrimination in housing and employment to gays, lesbians, and transgendered people. That's it. Right. So... They had a committee hearing, and a woman, uh, it's so laughable. It, it is, it, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also sad and disheartening that people, animals like this exist in our society. A woman named Lori Birchfield, who's a realtor in Boise, um, who happens to have her phone number all over the web, all over her business pages doesn't mind getting up in front of a of a state legislative committee and saying things like this. Welcome to the committee. Please state your name Thank for you. the record. Honorable representatives of the State House Affairs Committee, my name is Lori Birchfield. I've been married 35 years to my husband, Daryl. I'm a mother of four and a grandmother of five so far. I have a small business, I've been a small business owner for 22 years in the Meridian area, and I'm here to vehemently oppose HB2 and ask that it not leave committee. I have a deep love and compassion for all people, as Christ has taught me and by the incredible example of my parents growing up. With that said, that love and compassion does not mean that I condone the LBGT lifestyle. The word say- let's let's get that straight. I have great love and compassion for all of mankind because of the things that my wonderful parents taught me and also because of the teachings of Jesus. But <laughs> right. It's always but I mean she didn't say but. She said nevertheless or whatever, but she means but. Well, and I also don't like when people say the LGBT lifestyle. Right. Because is there is there a straight lifestyle? I mean, honestly, can you can you define someone's lifestyle by the way they have sex or who they're attracted to? Right. I mean, honestly, is that is that you can chalk someone up to just that? Yeah, you can define her and her entire lifestyle by the fact that uh she has sex with her husband, her male husband. It doesn't make any sense. Sexual orientation and gender identity are undefined and open up a Pandora's box of sexual preferences which minimally include up to as many as 70 and um, or up to minimally as 50 and more than 70 sexual preferences um, worldwide that I could find. Members of the committee, do you really want to legalize under this bill pedophilia, sadism, necrophilia, bestiality, exhibitionism, polygamy, and many others. And those are all within this undefined term. 
and it may be in um, part of the the negotiation section um, that if you had a grievance you would have to go through but beyond that it is not it is not in the law that we are looking at this is a, a dire concern to me and I know to thousands of women across Idaho who are not able to be here today because they are home with their families and their children that they are raising. Our laws were designed to protect and to keep safe the citizens of Idaho. Elected officials have a duty to ensure the protection, privacy, and safety of citizens throughout Idaho. As a very active grandmother, I often travel with the kids to their public venues, including vacation destinations such as McCall, Sun Valley, Bogus Basin, and locally my health club, YMCA, zoos, and other children's attractions such as Roaring Springs, Discovery Center of Idaho, local libraries, state and local parks, and campgrounds. As I'm sure you committee members are aware, as parents and grandparents yourselves, these sites all have pub public restrooms. Until now, I'm sure you wouldn't have thought twice about sending your young boys or girls into their appropriate bathroom sites. Everyone should be free to go to a public restroom without fear of people of confused sexual orientation, exposing themselves to our children, or flagrantly and unnecessarily parading their genitalia in the locker rooms of our YMCA's and gyms. My youngest grandchildren spend time in the facility's childcare area in which they share the adult restrooms. Please tell me that you're not, or that you are willing to protect the privacy and safety of women, children, and young adults in elementary, junior high, and high school locker rooms and bathrooms. You can be compassionate to your fellow citizens without putting the majority at risk. Who would have ever thought that the mere act of sending your child to a public restroom could result in a negative and positively or possibly dangerous life-changing experience with dramatic and long-lasting repercussions? We do not need SOGI legislation. Idaho lawmakers' duty is to protect and constitutionally uphold the freedoms of all citizens of Idaho. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Birchfield. Do we have any questions for Ms. Birchfield? Thank you for your testimony. want to remind those in the audience that we had really wonderful decorum yesterday, and that was a long day, and we encourage that again today because the chair will not stand for it otherwise. So if we can be respectful of the speakers on both sides, I highly encourage that. So I love how she said that this will lead to bestiality and pedophilia. Sadism. It's not in there right now, but it's going to lead to that, she right. says. Well, what research did she do? Where did she find, well, as little as 50, as few as 50 things and as many as 70? What did she go to some pervert.com and want to, you know, find out the all the different variants of sexual orientation? Where she's well, she, obviously she's wrong, <laughs> but she's wrong on so much that sexual orientation doesn't mean that. Well, my sexual orientation is polygamist. You're not born a polygamist. You're not born a sadist. You are born homosexual. You're born that way, and she uses words like confused. Uh, gender, they're confused about their gender. Um, just, she's she's a hateful fucking bigot. 
Well, even saying, here's the thing, saying that they're confused about their gender and you're afraid to like send your kid in the public restroom with people that are confused about their gender. If someone's confused about their gender, like she's saying, right, quote unquote, that doesn't mean that they're pedophiles. They they keep making this connection right. between homosexuality, transgendered, and 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 raping children and pedophilia, and right. it's that's it's illogical. Like I can't even figure out what they're talking well, about. Well, the one thing that I really find compelling of of her speech is the problem, the rampant problem with the parading of genitalia in gyms and locker rooms. Brittany, you have to know that this is a problem in America right now. I, I People don't. People love to put their genitals on parade. <laughs> um, hey, the parade's not over. I, oh, my God. Can it be over? All right. The parade's over. Okay. I had no idea. There's a lot of parading of the genitalia. Apparently, it's very. it's going to be even more problematic in Idaho. So much more problematic than you could ever even imagine. Right. The other thing is that she's so concerned about the majority that's at risk. I and know, she please. Used, she used those words, majority at risk. You're the majority, asshole. You're not at risk. <laughs> uh... Who is at risk are many, many, many thousands of of gays, lesbians, and transgendered in Idaho who right now can be fired. Idaho is what's called an at-will employment state. If I own a business, and I believe this is kind of the way it should be, it's at-will. They don't have to give you a reason. Look, we, we don't need you anymore. Um, you, can, you can go. But there's certain ways that you, reasons you can't fire someone. I can't say, hey, Brittany, you're a black lady. I don't want you here because you're black. That's illegal. Thank the Lord, that's illegal. I can't fire you for being German. I can't fire you for being Muslim. I can't fire you for these reasons. How'd you know I'm all those things? However, right now in Idaho, you can fire someone legally for being gay. It's insane. And that's a problem. It is a problem. And how is anyone against that? Because being gay is no different than being black. So if you believe... That someone, that it's wrong for someone to be fired for their race, then you should also agree. And I, I'm preaching to the choir here. Our, our audience, I'm sure, isn't uh, in support of the lovely and talented Laura Birchfield, the realtor. I'm not going to give where she works. I mean, she she gave her family information. Her husband's named Daryl. Um, although when I did do the search. I, I searched for B-I-R-C-H, like the tree, Birchfield. Mm-hmm. That's not how to spell it. Her last name is B-U-R-C-H-F-I-E-L-D. B-U-R-C-H, Birchfield. And Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E. So I was a little conf- uh, confounded by when I was searching to see who she was. Right. But it's odd to me that people like this can have such hateful... What she's parading is her hate before the state and ultimately the world. I'm sure she didn't know this was going to go as viral as it did. But she is putting her hate on parade. It's not her genitals. It's her filthy, dirty hate and bigotry. 
it's it's very upsetting to me. I mean, honestly, it's just really upsetting. And the thing is, she's still taking her her beliefs and ideas about homosexuality, about transgender. She's taking these ideas from um, her Bible, which has, you know, not changed, which doesn't change, which doesn't make advancements with our changing world. Right. You know, and it's just this archaic belief system. And it's not realistic. I mean, things are changing well, and we're learning new things. That's it. We're learning. And more. you can't just keep on getting your ideas from this book. I mean, relax. Listen, I've got lots of gay friends in, in Boise, in Idaho, and they're not less than. They are. These are people who are hurting because people like Lori Birchfield and their hate and their bigotry are in control right now. And this, this, this add the words, it did fail. It didn't pass committee, and they weren't able to get those words added to the protection. And that's got to hurt the gay community in Idaho that their government doesn't support them, doesn't count them as whole, believes that they should be able to be discriminated against because of the way that they were born. That's a problem. So... Up next, kind of in concert, this is kind of a coincidence, but recently there was a there was a, uh, a, a, um, a list provided or a list put together uh, of the least and the most Bible-minded cities. And although Boise is not on the list, it's it's uh, we should we maybe should add it to the list. Um, you know, to all of our gay listeners in Idaho. Or all of our listeners, period, in Idaho, and there are many. Um, there are cities on here when we talk about the cities that are the least Bible-minded. Maybe it's time to move. Maybe it's time to go. And, you know, tax revenue is a major thing. And if people leave en masse and get the hell out of there, um, that would be an answer. I mean, that would be a way to to speak to the, the elected officials and the elected representatives in the state of Idaho. So tell us a little bit more about the, the both the least and the most Bible-minded cities, Brittany. These lists were created by American Bible Society, and they, <laughs> they base these rankings on regular Bible reading as well as expressed belief in the Bible's accuracy. So the least Bible-minded cities, um, starting from... The most least. <laughs> Wait, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> Starting from the leastiest least. So mean like, are we doing double negative? What does that mean? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm running out of gas here. All right. So Okay. So the least. The least Bible minded cities. Yes. Okay. Okay. Starting with the least. Right. So we're talking about where I would want to live. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Providence, Rhode Island slash... New Bedford, Massachusetts. I have already lived in Rhode Island when I was in the Marine Corps. Jesse was a Marine, everybody. Hey, we fit it in. Um, and yeah, it's. I would say New England is very, just that whole area in general, is a very anti-Bible belt. Mm-hmm. The next least is Albany, New York. Okay, yeah. Followed by Boston, Massachusetts. For sure. San Francisco, no surprise there. Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Wait, what? Really? That's weird. That's a least. I mm -hmm. mean, that's not Bible Belt, but that's a uh, 
That's getting down to the belt. Mm-hmm. Here's another not surprising one. Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, no kidding. Hartford slash New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah. Buffalo, New York. Mm, that's kind of surprising. Phoenix, Arizona. That's shocking to me. And New York. New York, like New York City. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's is that the that's the bottom ten. Yes. So let's go up to the top ten most Bible-minded cities. Starting with the most. Yes. Is Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> Birmingham, Alabama. Ooh, Jesus. Followed by Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not a shock. And then try. Listen, I'll tell you what. Let me say this. I venture a guess that every one of the top 10 are in the South. Okay. Go ahead. And then the third is Tri-Cities, Tennessee. Okay. Then followed by Roanoke slash Lynchburg, Virginia. All right. So far, all cities and states that were part of the Confederacy during the Civil War. Go ahead. Shreveport, Louisiana. (laughs) Not a shocker. Slave Trade Central. Springfield, Missouri. Oh, yeah. that's uh, that's. There are probably more Christian colleges in Springfield, Missouri than anywhere on this goddamn planet. Jackson, Mississippi. Oh, you know there's got to be some Mississippi in there. Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Nice. I feel like I should be a Miss America announcer. Greenville slash Spartanburg, South Carolina slash Asheville. Yeah. And then... This is the last one. Little Rock, Arkansas. So not one of the most Bible-minded cities in the United States of America happened to be outside of the former Confederate states. Not one. They were all southern states. Not a shock. Not a shock that we had to drag them into the 20th century with us related to race related to the treatment of uh, of minorities it's it's not a shock that we're still dragging them into modernity with us Ugh. it's going to be a hard journey it's a it's a tough one it's going to continue to be a hard journey maybe after the civil war we should have just you know taken a pickaxe and just split them off and let them float away <laughs> The problem is, is they make such good goddamn food. Mm, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> Shrimp po' boy. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. I get a little excited. Well, at least we're ending the episode with a little laughter because it's been a little heavy. It's been kind of a kind of a downer with all the, the anti-vaxxer nutters and the Jesus freaks in Idaho. Kind of a bum town. Yeah, why kind of, can't people just be nice? Yeah, I know, just treat each other with respect and dignity. Also, I feel itchy after the measles conversation. I think I have the measles. You've been feeling itchy all day because of the measles conversation. Well, I watched that video with the sneeze, and I already have issues about that kind of stuff. Like when people cough around me, I hold my breath because I'm so paranoid of <laughs> inhaling someone's cough. Right. You know? I know, I know. I, I'm around you a lot. Uh, I know very well what you mean. I just don't like that. You'd think that your immune system would be so much more strong being around me as much as you are because I'm a dirty person who just doesn't care. Yeah, well, we've already learned that you're a man baby and you as get we're, sick. As we're going down an escalator, I'll lick the handrail That's as we enough. go down. That's <laughs> enough. No. No. That is something I, I try to break everyone's if you could habit. See, if you could see the horror on Britney's face night right now, 
it would be very entertaining for you. I try to break everyone's habit of holding that railing when you're going down the escalator. You are an adult. You have balance unless you have some kind of equilibrium issue. You are able to stand on the escalator, get on it, stand on it without holding that disgusting rail. So just don't touch it, all right? All right. Also, when you're in the elevator, push those buttons with your knuckle, okay? Not your finger, all right? The more you know, everybody, the more you know. All right, we're going to leave it there. Listen, we love you for listening. We thank you for spending your time with us twice a week. We hope that your team won the Super Bowl. Unless it was the New England Patriots, then no, we don't want that. Um, Listen, if you want to support the show other than listening twice a week, if you have a little extra change that you you can't find a place for, you can go to dollamore.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a link that says support the show. At that link, you can see patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore, or you could just go directly there. And there's a mechanism by which that you can give 10 cents, 25 cents, 50 cents, whatever you have lying around. And we would be so appreciative for any donation whatsoever there. Also, there's the Amazon search bar that I mentioned earlier, buy a book, rent your, your school books for college. You can buy books, you can buy electronics, any any purchase that you would make, you can make there. And every little bit goes a long way towards supporting your favorite twice-weekly source for news. News. And ridiculous comments. So, until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has once again been I Doubt It. So even Glenn Beck thinks that Mitt Romney is a little shitty shit stain in a piece of underwear in a pair of underwear. <laughs>